0: Located a few miles north of Dahab, Egypt, on the coast of the Red Sea, is a spot known as the Blue Hole. Because its depth is directly accessible from the shore, And the lack of any current the blue hole is known as one of the most popular diving locations in the world however at estimates between 130 and 200 deaths in recent years the blue hole also holds the title for the deadliest diving spot in the world what makes this popular diving location so deadly find out on today's episode of narcosis into the deep Hi everyone, I'm your host Alex, and welcome to the very first episode of Narcosis Into the Deep. So, I want you to think of the Blue Hole as the Mount Everest or Kilimanjaro of the diving world. It's very famous and a lot of experienced deep divers want to quote-unquote conquer the dive. The Blue Hole is actually a submarine pothole, It's a type of cave, and the entrance to the Blue Hole is located about 30 feet from land. It's super easy to access, you don't need a boat to get out there, you don't need to swim out to it. You can easily get up from your beach chair and just jump right into it. The surrounding area has an abundance of coral and sea life. It's absolutely gorgeous, and there's no wonder why the site attracts so many people each year. Now, the shallow opening of the Blue Hole is known as the saddle. It's about 20 feet deep at its most shallow point, and from the saddle, there's a long tunnel that's about 85 feet in length known as the arch. The entire tunnel is submerged, and the ceiling of the arch is at a depth of about 181 feet, and the floor of the arch goes down to almost 400 feet. Alex Hayes, who's an experienced diver and manager of H2O Center, describes the underwater opening of the arch as a, quote, underwater cathedral, end quote. At the end of the arch, it opens up to the sea, and the seawall drops off to a depth of about 3,300 feet. Now I know it can be a little confusing to try to picture all these different depths and dimensions in an audio podcast, so if you want to see photos and a map of the blue hole, go ahead and head on over to our Instagram page, at narcosispod, where I'll share a couple different photos of the blue hole. So getting back on track, as I mentioned earlier, this location has claimed almost 200 lives, if not more, in recent years. One of the most infamous deaths at this location is that of Yuri Lipsky. At the time, Yuri was a 22-year-old Russian-Israeli diving instructor. From the very scarce information I could find online about Yuri's personal life, I can tell you that he had a passion for scuba diving and traveling. Yuri was in the area only for the weekend, and he wanted to dive the Blue Hole, and he also knew that he wanted to capture the arch on camera. On the morning of April 28, 2000, Yuri packed up all his gear and excitedly headed down to the popular diving spot. Yuri loaded on all the gear that he needed, which included 12 liters of compressed air, 26 pounds of lead on his weight belt, his camera, and his batteries. Yuri jumped into the saddle, reached up to his helmet where his camera was, and turned it on and attempted to begin his descent. Now, as soon as Yuri began sinking down, he instantly knew something serious was wrong. Yuri was rapidly descending and he couldn't control his downward speed. He tried to inflate his Buoyancy Compensator, or BC, and under normal circumstances, this vest would inflate and help carry the diver to the surface. But try as he might, Yuri kept sinking deeper and deeper into the depths of the sea, leaving those at the surface in dismay and unable to help him. Sadly, Yuri is only one of the many, many people who have lost their lives diving here, and his mysterious death has left many of us asking a lot of questions. Such as, how did an experienced diver die during a seemingly simple dive? Why did his BC not inflate? What went so wrong under the surface? Well, there's a few theories on what caused Yuri's untimely death. And the first of these theories comes from those who live the closest to the Blue Hole. So, local to the area, the members of the Bedouin tribes have long avoided this diving location, and that's because they believe that this spot is cursed. There's a local legend that a girl drowned herself here in order to escape an arranged marriage, and now she forever haunts this location, attempting to drown others with her. To those who believe in this curse, they simply believe that Yuri was pulled to the depths by this girl and drowned by her. The second of these theories is that, during Yuri's descent, a shark actually grabbed him and pulled him down against his will. In this theory, Yuri is said to have accidentally knocked out his regulator, or the mouthpiece that supplies oxygen to the diver, during his frantic movements trying to remove himself from the shark's grasp. Then while being dragged down by the shark, he was unable to locate his regulator again and ended up drowning to death. Now, this theory doesn't have a lot of evidence to back it up, and while the arch does connect the saddle to the sea and sea life can access this area, there's one really big loose end in this theory. And that's because Yuri's body was recovered the next day, and there was no evidence of a shark bite or any other bite of a large, powerful creature that could have pulled him down against his will. Now moving on to the third and final theory, it's simply that Yuri died because he was overweight and under experienced. On the morning of April 29th, the day after Yuri's death, his body was retrieved by an experienced diver named Tarek Omar. Tarek was born in a village near Libya and is a Bedouin from the Alad Ali tribe and he's described as a slim man with graying hair and friendly eyes. In 1997, Turek had began gaining local fame when he started undertaking missions to retrieve bodies of those who fell victim to the Blue Hole. Since then, Turek has undertaken over 100 missions to recover bodies, but he admittedly doesn't know exactly how many he's recovered. He states, quote, I stopped counting at some point, end quote. After recovering Yuri's body, Tarek discovered that Yuri's camera was still in working order despite its rapid dissension and incredible depth. Tarek removed the card and discovered something horrible. Yuri had recorded his own death. The video, lasting only 7 minutes and 16 seconds, shows glimpses of Yuri's dive watch indicating his depth. Yuri continues to take glances at his dive watch throughout the video and these quick glances show the rapid changes. 81.7 meters one second, 85.3 meters the next, until finally, 91.6 meters. Yuri's silent, chilling underwater screams can be heard in this video, and after hitting the ground, he tries to inflate his vest yet again, but it doesn't work. He flounder kicks, trying to get back up to the surface, kicking up sand, but making no progress. And then finally, the horrifying images freeze. Tarek Omar, in an interview with Der Spiegel, a popular magazine in Germany, tells details of his mission to recover Yuri's body, along with many, many other recovery missions. Yuri's body had been found face down in the sand at a depth of about 300 feet, and his regulator had been pulled out of his mouth, which can be seen in the chilling video. So what exactly caused Yuri's rapid dissension, and why did his BC not inflate? Why had he removed his regulator, the one source of oxygen, at 300 feet underwater? So first, let's take a deeper look into the first question. Why did Yuri rapidly descend? Like I said earlier, based on the third theory, the major problem is that the amount of weight Yuri had on him was too much. On top of his tank, diving gear, camera, extra batteries, he also had 26 pounds of lead on his weight belt. Now, the amount of weight that you need on your belt is going to vary person to person. But if you don't already know this, the common rule of thumb is that you should have about 10% of your body weight. So if you weigh 200 pounds or 90 kilograms, you should have 20 pounds or 9 kilograms on your weight belt. This isn't an exact number though. There are other factors to consider, such as the weight of your equipment, if you have a dry suit on, etc. From what I could find during my research, Yuri was not a very large man, so 26 pounds or 12 kilograms would have been way too much weight for him, even with factoring in all of that extra gear that he had. One other factor I considered but was unable to find much verified research on was regarding the salinity of the Red Sea and how that can affect one's dive weight when comparing to the regular open water. My thought process on this was, Because the sea is saltier or of a higher salinity, would a diver need more or less weight on their dive belt? Now, there's a lot of conflicting information online. I found one blog and a few dive websites that say you need more weight, while another dive site says you need less. I've personally never dove in the Red Sea, so I can't really add any personal experience to this topic, but it was just something that I wanted to consider. Either way, the overall assessment is that Yuri had too much weight on him, particularly his dive belt. So looking into the next question, why did Yuri's BC not inflate? Well, here's the kicker. It did. After recovering Yuri's body, Tarek inspected his equipment and found that Yuri's BC had ruptured. Tarek theorizes that Yuri's BC was fully inflated and that when Yuri began rapidly descending, he tried to inflate it more and that's when it ruptured. BCs don't usually rupture like this, and that's because they're equipped with a pressure release valve. So these relief valves will keep your BC from popping like a balloon when usually in a frantic moment, the user keeps trying to inflate it despite it being at full capacity. So I also tried to do another deep dive into this topic because I wanted to find out when were these pressure relief valves first implemented, when were they first used or first required to be used. Because if you remember, Yuri's death happened in 2000, and while diving's been around for quite a while, I was trying to see when these pressure relief valves were starting to become a requirement. Usually there's some type of national or international safety board Like with aviation, there's the NTSB, which is the National Transportation Safety Board. However, I couldn't find any national or international safety boards. A lot of the current existing diving safety boards pertain only to the specific organization's diving programs. So for example, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, each have a diving safety board but it only pertains to their specific diving program. So since there's no real standardization on these safety requirements, it's kind of hard to say when these things started to be required. Getting back on track, like I said, Yuri did try to inflate his BC, but due to a possible equipment failure of his pressure relief valve, his BC ruptured. The air inside the BC will help carry the diver to the surface and it's critical to have this available, especially when you're going on these deep dives. Without it, it would be a huge struggle, if not impossible, to return to the surface safely during one of these very deep dives. So looking at the next question, why did Yuri remove his regulator, the one source of oxygen while he was underwater? Well, there's another diving rule of thumb, and it's that about every 30 feet or 10 meters that you go underwater equates to one martini, and first-time drinkers are going to get tipsy quickly. It's important that a diver never descends faster than 30 feet per minute to help decrease these feelings of drunkenness. But you might also be asking yourself, Yuri was an experienced diver. He was actually a certified diving instructor, so this couldn't have been the case, could it? Well, Tarek Omar tells Der Spiegel that Yuri came to him the day before his death, wanting a guide for his dive. Tarek told Yuri, quote, Okay, we need two weeks of training with me, and then we can dive and videotape the arch, end quote. Yuri, only in town for that weekend, turned down Tarek's offer and fatefully decided to dive alone. Inexperienced at such depth, Yuri faced a deadly consequence as he sped past 100 feet underwater. Yuri became a victim to what's known as nitrogen narcosis. It's the technical name for the drunken, confused cognition that reduces reasoning, decision making, and motor coordination. At Yuri's final depth of 300 feet or 92 meters, he was experiencing the effects of about nine martinis in the short span of about seven minutes. During nitrogen narcosis, the increasing atmospheric pressure causes too much nitrogen to become dissolved in the bloodstream, and divers slowly lose their judgment. Some divers who have dived the arch with compressed air and returned safely to the surface have claimed that they've heard organ concerts, experienced memory lapses, or said that they felt as if they were, quote, stoned. But just as a drinker slowly develops tolerance for alcohol, A diver, too, can develop a tolerance to this high nitrogen concentration. But sadly, Yuri was not accustomed to these new depths. Confused and disoriented, Yuri removed his regulator, probably now unaware that he was even underwater at all, and that this was his only source of oxygen, and sadly drowned to death. As I mentioned earlier, Turek retrieved Yuri's body the next day. And Yuri's father, Alexander Lipsky, thanked Turek in a written letter for the, quote, dangerous mission to recover the body of my son, end quote. Turek performs these missions not to make money but because he wants to help the family members. He states, quote, it isn't about the money for me. I don't ask for anything, I just charge the cost of the gas, end quote. Turek, being one of the most experienced blue hole divers, if not the most experienced diver at this location, says that it's easy to find the bodies. He states, quote, if I were to hide something in your garden, you would also find it pretty quickly, end quote. Because it's good practice to never dive alone and to always have a diving partner or a diving buddy, Tarek usually starts each of his missions by first talking to the diving partner. He'll ask them questions like, how thick was their dry suit? How much lead did they have on their weight belt? Where did you last see them and at what depth? Turek states that he usually tries to recover these bodies within one to three days because if you wait any longer than that, you risk the interference from the hungry sea life and, according to him, at that point, it's better to leave the bodies down there, unfortunately. He says that most of the time he finds the bodies between a depth of about 320 feet and 400 feet deep. Once he finds the bodies, he'll grab it in his arms and tie it to his own body. From there, he'll begin his ascent back to the surface. Now, one thing you need to know about scuba diving, if you don't already, is that you have to take what are called safety stops on your way back to the surface. Just as you need to control your speed on the way down, you also need to control it on your way up. If you don't allow proper time for your body to decompress, you run the risk of life-threatening complications. To kind of give you a good idea on why you need to do this, consider the oxygen in your bloodstream. The further underwater you go, the more atmospheric pressure there is. This pressure causes the oxygen bubbles to shrink, and if you rapidly ascend to the surface after a deep dive, these oxygen bubbles are going to inflate very quickly, and this can cause a block in your bloodstream resulting in your death. This specific example is known as arterial air embolism. So, because these recovery missions occur at such an incredible depth, it takes Turek three hours to complete a recovery mission. Now, on his return, once he reaches about 130 feet from the surface, he'll attach an airbag to the body and allow it to float to the surface while he completes the remainder of his safety stops. By the time that Tarek himself returns to the surface, the body has already been taken away by the rest of his team. Today, Tarek Omar is about 57 years old, and from what I can find online, he's still assisting family members in the recovery of their lost ones. So, now that we've thoroughly covered the theories around Yuri's death, let's talk about the Blue Hole itself. Why does this spot hold the title for the deadliest diving location in the world? And if you ever decide to go diving there, what can you do to prevent becoming its next victim? Really, the Blue Hole itself is no more dangerous than any other diving location in the Red Sea. But the long submerged tunnel is what poses a great threat to inexperienced divers and is the main cause for the many, many lives that were lost here. The Arches' high body count comes from one major problem, misjudgment. Alex Hayes elaborates on this, stating, quote, "People do a hundred dives and think that they know it all, but they're not prepared for that kind of depth. A bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing." End quote. And I think it's pretty safe to say that we can all agree that there's been at least one or two times in our lives where, once we learn the basics of something, we think that we're experts at it, and we later come to find out that we've only scratched the surface of that knowledge that's really true for scuba diving. A lot of divers think that because they've dove a shallow coral reef at 30 or 60 feet deep, that they can easily go and complete a dive that has a depth of 120 or more feet. And honestly, that just simply isn't the case. As I mentioned earlier, that long submerged tunnel, the arch, it connects the saddle and the Red Sea. Now, because of this, there is usually a very faint current that runs through the tunnel. And because of this faint current, it's going to take you longer to swim the length of the tunnel than you anticipate. Another factor to consider is the low light that's being reflected off the walls of the tunnel. Because it's so far underwater, less light reaches it, and this low light that bounces off makes the arch appear shorter than it actually is. So between the shorter appearance, paired with the swimming slower than you expect, this can cause major problems when you're underwater. So what can you do to prevent becoming the next victim of the blue hole? It's simple really. Go with a diving guide. Go with someone who's local to the area and knows the blue hole well. Most likely, you're going to have to do multiple dives at varying depths to become accustomed to this kind of straight down dive. Your guide is also gonna wanna do a few dives with you just to see how you swim, how your oxygen consumption is, etc. While you might find this tedious and time-consuming, these local dive guides will know the illusions found inside the arch, and they're gonna be able to get you there safely and back through that underwater cathedral. The main safety piece that I wanna focus here on this specific episode and this incident is regarding your weight belt. I think it's critical to always keep your weight belt in a spot where you can ditch it in an instant if you ever come across a situation like this. And I mention this because a lot of BCs, those vests that you see the divers wearing, they have extra pockets on them. And sometimes people want to put their lead bean bags, their lead weights, in these extra pockets. And I think that can be a very dangerous thing. I always keep my weights in a weight belt that has just a single, simple buckle on it. So that way, in the event of emergency, I just pull that buckle and those weights are gone. That way I can get back to the surface in the event of that emergency. The other thing you should think about too is that you can easily replace that weight belt. So if you find yourself in a similar situation, ditch that weight. You can always buy another weight belt, you can always buy more weights, but you can't replace your own life. I personally think that Yuri's death could have been avoided if he kept his weight belt in an easily accessible area. A couple of articles said that Yuri was diving with a partner, but besides that simple sentence I couldn't find any other information on it, so I'm not sure if that's actually true or not. So when you go diving, always go with a diving partner. It's having that extra set of eyes with you that can identify a problem before it becomes too serious. So, always stay alert, constantly check your gauges to know what depth you're at, what your oxygen levels are at, and never, ever dive alone. Always go with a diving buddy, and always know where they are in reference to you. Have any questions about today's episode or want us to cover a specific diving or marine incident? Leave a comment on our Instagram page, at narcosispod, or on our Discord for a chance to be featured in next week's episode. Again, I'm your host, Alex, and thank you so much for listening to our very first episode of Narcosis Into the Deep. If you like this episode and want to hear more, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. For visual information regarding today's episode, please head over to our Instagram page at NarcosisPod. The link to our Discord and our Instagram page can also be found in the description of this episode. And I would also like to give a special shout out to Ashley Randall for creating the artwork for this podcast. You can find more of her work and request your own commission through her Instagram page at Ashley Randall Art. Her Instagram will also be linked in this podcast description for your ease. Thank you again so much for listening, and I will see you all next week.